Chapter 12 of The Woman in the Alcove by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Almost. This is your patient. Your new nurse, my dear. What did you say your name is, Miss Ayers? Yes, Mr. Gray, Alice Ayers. Oh, what a sweet name! This expressive greeting from the patient herself was the first heart-string I received, a string which brought a flush into my cheek which I would fain have kept down. Since change of nurses was necessary, I am glad they sent me one like you. The feeble but musical voice went on, and I saw a wasted but eager hand stretched out. In a whirl of strong feeling I advanced to take it. I had not counted on such a reception. I had not expected any bond of congeniality to spring up between this high-feeling English girl and myself to make my purpose hateful to me. Yet, as I stood there looking down at her bright, if wasted, face, I felt that it would be very easy to love so gentle and cordial a being, and dreaded raising my eyes to the gentleman at my side, lest I should see something in him to hamper me, and make this attempt, which I had undertaken in such loyalty of spirit, a misery to myself, and ineffectual to the man I hoped to save by it. When I did look up and catch the first beams of Mr. Gray's keen blue eyes fixed inquiringly on me, I neither knew what to think nor how to act. He was tall and firmly knit, and had an intellectual aspect altogether. I was conscious of regarding him with a decided feeling of awe, and found myself forgetting why I had come there, and what my suspicions were, suspicions which had carried hope with them, hope for myself and hope for my lover, who would never escape the opprobrium, even if he did the punishment, of this great crime, where this, the only other person who could possibly be associated with it, found to be the fine, clear-souled man he appeared to be in this my first interview with him. Perceiving very soon that his apprehensions in my regard were limited to a fear lest I should not feel at ease in my new home, under the restraint of a presence more accustomed to intimidate than attract strangers, I threw aside all doubts of myself, and met the advances of both father and daughter with that quiet confidence which my position there demanded. The result both gratified and grieved me. As a nurse entering on her first case, I was happy. As a woman with an ulterior motive in view verging on the audacious and unspeakable, I was wretched and regretful and just a little shaken in the conviction which had hitherto upheld me. I was therefore but poorly prepared to meet the ordeal which awaited me when, a little later in the day, Mr. Gray called me into the adjoining room, and after saying that it would afford him great relief to go out for an hour or so, asked if I were afraid to be left alone with my patient. "'Oh, no, sir,' I began, but stopped in secret dismay. I was afraid, but not on account of her condition, rather on account of my own. What if I should be led into betraying my feelings on finding myself under no other eye than her own?' What if the temptation to probe her poor sick mind should prove stronger than my duty toward her as a nurse? My tones were hesitating, but Mr. Gray paid little heed. 
his mind was too fixed on what he wished to say himself before i go said he i have a request to make i may as well say a caution to give you do not i pray either now or at any future time carry or allow any one else to carry newspaper into miss gray's room they are just now too alarming there has been as you know a dreadful murder in the city if she caught one glimpse of the headlines or saw so much as the name of fairbrother which is a name she knows the result might be very hurtful to her she is not only extremely sensitive from illness but from temperament will you be careful i shall be careful it was such an effort for me to say these words to say anything in the state of mind into which i had been thrown by his unexpected allusion to this subject that i unfortunately drew his attention to myself and it was with what i felt to be a glance of doubt that he added with decided emphasis you must consider this whole subject as a forbidden one in this family only cheerful topics are suited for the sick-room if miss gray attempts to introduce any other stop her do not let her talk about anything which would not be conducive to her speedy recovery these are the only instructions i have to give you all others must come from her physician i made some reply with as little show of emotion as possible it seemed to satisfy him for his face cleared and he kindly observed you have a very trustworthy look for one so young i shall rest easy while you are with her and i shall expect you to always be with her when i am not every moment mind she is never to be left alone with gossiping servants if a word is mentioned in her hearing about this crime which seems to be in everybody's mouth i shall feel forced greatly as i should regret the fad to blame you this was a heart-stroke but i kept up bravely changing colour perhaps but not to such a marked degree as to arouse any deeper suspicion in his mind than that i had been wounded in my amour proper she shall be well guarded said i you may trust me to keep from her all avoidable knowledge of this crime he bowed and i was about to leave his presence when he detained me by remarking with the air of one who felt that some explanation was necessary i was at the ball where this crime took place naturally it has made a deep impression on me and would on her if she heard it assuredly i murmured wondering if he would say more and how i should have the courage to stand there and listen if he did it is the first time i have ever come into contact with crime he went on with what in one of his reserved nature seemed a hardly natural insistence i could well have been spared the experience a tragedy with which one has been even thus remotely connected produces a lasting effect upon the mind oh yes oh yes i murmured edging involuntarily toward the door did i not know had i not been there too i little i whom he stood gazing down upon from such a height little realizing the fatality which united us and what was even a more overwhelming thought to me at the moment the fact that of all persons in the world the shrinking little being into whose eyes he was then looking was perhaps his greatest enemy 
and the one person, great or small, from whom he had the most to fear. But I was no enemy to his gentle daughter, and the relief I felt at finding myself thus cut off from my own promise from even the remotest communication with her on this forbidden subject was genuine and sincere. But the father! What was I to think of the father? Alas, I could have but one thought. Admirable as he appeared in all lights save the one in which his too evident connection with this crime had placed him. I spent the hours of the afternoon in alternately watching the sleeping face of my patient, too sweetly calm in its repose, or so it seemed, for the mind beneath to harbor such doubts as were shown in the warning I had ascribed to her, and the vain efforts to explain by any other hypothesis than that of guilt the extraordinary evidence which linked this man of great affairs and the loftiest repute to a crime involving both theft and murder. Nor did the struggle end that night. It was renewed with still greater positiveness the next day, as I witnessed the glances which from time to time passed between this father and daughter, glances full of doubt and question on both sides, but not exactly such doubt or such questions as my suspicions called for, or so I thought, and spent another day or two hesitating very much over my duty, when, coming unexpectedly upon Mr. Gray one evening, I felt all my doubts revive in view of the extraordinary expression of dread. I might, with still greater truth, say fear, which informed his features, and made them, to my unaccustomed eyes, almost unrecognizable. He was sitting at his desk in reverie over some papers which he seemed not to have touched for hours, and when, at some movement I made, he started up and met my eye. I could swear that his cheek was pale, the firm carriage of his body shaken, the whole man a victim to some strong and secret apprehension he vainly sought to hide. When I ventured to tell him what I wanted, he made an effort and pulled himself together, but I had seen him with his mask off, and his usually calm to visage and self-possessed mien could not again deceive me. My duties kept me mainly at Miss Gray's bedside, but I had been provided with a little room across the hall, and to this room I retired very soon after this, for rest and a necessary understanding with myself. For, in spite of this experience and my now-settled convictions, my purpose required wedding. The indescribable charm, the extreme refinement and nobility of manner observable in both Mr. Gray and his daughter were producing their effect. I felt guilty, constrained. Whatever my convictions, the impetus to act was leaving me. How could I recover it? by thinking of Anson Durand and his present disgraceful position. Anson Durand! Oh, how the feeling surged up in my breast as that name slipped from my lips on crossing the threshold of my little room. Anson Durand, whom I believed innocent, whom I loved, but whom I was betraying with every moment of hesitation in which I allowed myself to indulge. What if the Honorable Mr. Gray was an eminent statesman, a dignified, scholarly, and to all appearance high-minded man? What if my patient is sweet, dove-eyed, and affectionate? 
had not ants and qualities as excellent in their way rights as certain and a hold upon myself superior to any claims which another might advance drawing a much crumpled little note from my pocket i eagerly read it it was the only one i had of his writing the only letter he had ever written me i had already re-read it a hundred times but as i once more repeated to myself its well-known lines i felt my heart grow strong and fixed in the determination which had brought me into this family restoring the letter to its place i opened my gripsack and from its inmost recesses drew forth an object which i had no sooner in hand than a natural sense of disquietude led me to glance apprehensively first at the door then at the window though i had locked the one and shaded the other it seemed as if some other eye besides my own must be gazing at what i held so gingerly in hand that the walls were watching me if nothing else and the sensation this produced was so exactly like that of guilt or what i imagined to be guilt that i was forced to repeat once more to myself that it was not a good man's overthrow i sought or even a bad man's immunity from punishment but the truth the absolute truth no shame could equal that which i should feel if by any over-delicacy now i failed to save the man who trusted me the article which i held have you guessed it was the stiletto with which mrs fairbrother had been killed it had been entrusted to me by the police for a definite purpose the time for testing that purpose had come or so nearly come that i felt i must be thinking about the necessary ways and means unwinding the folds of tissue paper in which the stiletto was wrapped i scrutinized the weapon very carefully hitherto i had only seen pictures of it now i had the article itself in my hand it was not a natural one for a young woman to hold a woman whose taste ran more toward healing than inflicting wounds but i forced myself to forget why the end of its blade was rusty and looked mainly at the devices which ornamented the handle i had not been mistaken in them they belonged to the house of gray and to none other it was a legitimate inquiry i had undertaken however the matter ended i should always have these historic devices for my excuse my plan was to lay this dagger on mr gray's desk at a moment when he would be sure to see it and i to see him if he betrayed a guilty knowledge of this fatal steel if unconscious of my presence he showed surprise and apprehension then we should know how to proceed justice would be loosed from constraint and the police feel at liberty to approach him it was a delicate task this i realized how delicate when i had thrust the stiletto out of sight under my nurse's apron and started to cross the hall should i find the library clear would the opportunity be given to me to approach his desk or should i have to carry this guilty witness of a world-famous crime on into mrs gray's room and with its unholy outline pressing a semblance of itself upon my breast sit at that innocent pillow meet those innocent eyes and answer the gentle inquiries which now and then fell from the sweetest lips i have ever seen smile into the face of a lovely preoccupied stranger 
the arrangement of the rooms was such as made it necessary for me to pass through this sitting-room in order to reach my patient's bedroom with careful tread so timed as not to appear stealthy i accordingly advanced and pushed open the door the room was empty mr gray was still with his daughter and i could cross the floor without fear but never had i entered upon a task requiring more courage or one more obnoxious to my natural instincts i hated each step i took but i loved the man for whom i took those steps and moved resolutely on only as i reached the chair in which mr gray was accustomed to sit i found that it was easier to plan an action than to carry it out home life and the domestic virtues had always appealed to me more than a man's greatness the position which this man held in his own country his usefulness there even his prestige as statesman and scholar were facts but very dreamy facts to me while his feelings as a father the place he held in his daughter's heart these were real to me these i could understand and it was of these and not of his place as a man that his favorite seat spoke to me how often had i beheld him sit there by the hour with his eye on the door behind which his one darling lay ill even now it was easy for me to recall his face as i had sometimes caught a glimpse of it through the crack of the suddenly opened door and i felt my breast heave and my hand falter as i drew forth the stiletto and moved to place it where his eye would fall upon it on his leaving his daughter's bedside but my hand returned quickly to my breast and fell back again empty a pile of letters lay before me on the open lid of the desk the top one was addressed to me with the word important written in the corner i did not know the writing but i felt that i should open and read this letter before committing myself or those who stood back of me to this desperate undertaking glancing behind me and seeing that the door into miss gray's room was ajar i caught up this letter and rushed with it back into my own room as i surmised it was from the inspector and as i read it i realized that i had received it not one moment too soon in language purposely non-committal but of a meaning not to be mistaken it advised me that some unforeseen facts had come to light which altered all former suspicions and made the little surprise i had planned no longer necessary there was no allusion to mr durand but the final sentence ran drop all care and give your undivided attention to your patient End of chapter twelve